Tonight we're taking again the topic from the corner to the closet. And moving on from where we were the other night, uh, prayer is most energetic and vigorous, and it's even, we could term it, violent business. And you will know the words that we have in Matthew 11, the verse 12, where John the Baptist is referenced there, the Lord is speaking of him and saying, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And really here we have an outline as to how we can pray. But this violence or this vigorous activity is not simply to be used when we get right to the throne of God. But the Bible makes it plain we need to use this violence in order to get there in the first place. And I suppose that's where our text here fits in tonight. In the words of Matthew 6 and verse 6, and particularly the few words that we're going to fasten our attention on now, but thou when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and hear the words, and when thou hast shut thy door, shut the door. I did a study on that word, shut as it appears in the New Testament. And we have many examples, and some of those, I'm sure, in fact, all of them will be very familiar territory to each of us here tonight. We'll give a couple of examples here. In Matthew 25, in verse 10, we have latecomers, and they roll up to a marriage feast, and they find there is no entry, no admittance, no vacancies over the door on that occasion. And all they get is a voice from the inside, shouting out to them, the door isn't even open a chink, so that they could put their toe in and maybe use a bit of pressure and prize their way in. They didn't even get that far. But those inside could see the faces of those outside, and were told, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Very definite. Look forward into verse 25, another example, and we're back into the days of Elijah, and we're told here that the heavens themselves, they seized up, and they refused to yield any rain for the space of three years and six months. And the term again, the heaven was shut up. Now, another time where it appears is Luke 11 and the verse 7, and you'll know again what had happened there. Night time had fallen, lights were out, the whole household, they're very snug in their beds here, and then somebody comes, a neighbor, uh, we need help here, they're saying, please get up and help me, because somebody from a far journey has just knocked my door, come in, they need bread, we need your help, we don't have any, but they're saying, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. Again, a very definite answer. That door was not going to be opened. In John 20, the verse 19 and 26, we're finding that the Jews were marauding around. The disciples were terrified, and so the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. But we read that Jesus came, and he stood in the midst, and he said unto them, Peace be unto you. But the same scenario develops again eight days later. 
His disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And then another reference in the final book of the Bible, Revelation, the chapter 20 and verse 3, it's dealing with the devil being trussed up, put into the bottomless pit, sealed in there, and cast him, we read, into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. So it's all pretty straightforward here what is happening. It's very definite. Doors are closing. They are shutting in all of these New Testament references. And the reason why they're shutting is to stop others from entering. And that's exactly the way in which we should use our closet door. Close it with definiteness. Close it with determination. Close it even with violence. Here's a chance when we can close a door on someone's face without being accused of ignorance, for our Lord is the one who is telling us to do it. Matthew 6 and 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray. That's the signal. Get into the closet and make sure that door is shut to stop others from coming in. So first of all tonight, our main point, shut thy door and the things against which we must shut the door. That's what we're going to consider initially here. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door. The things that we should shut the door on. Now, obviously, the Pharisees and the scribes had great difficulty right here. They couldn't get the door closed. They had no desire to close the door because they wanted, not within the closet, but out in the street corner, and also they want to be in the place that is so public. Everybody passing by will see what they're doing. And as hypocrites, Jesus said, they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, Matthew 6 and the verse 5. They liked the attention. They wanted to play to an audience. The closet? Nah, that was no use to them. Why pray in private? Why do it out of sight? Why do it away from hearing when you can get greater capital out of parading your righteousness in the eyes of men and women around? Jesus said, don't be doing that. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and shut thy door. It sounds so easy. But it is by no means as easy as it sounds. Well, it is relatively easy to close the door, a physical door. Bolt it, bar it, do whatever you want. Pretty easy to do that. It's not so easy having got into the closet to shut the door of your mind and of your heart so that you're excluding those thoughts and those desires that would bind us to the world so that we bring the world inside the closet with us, tying us into the cares and the concerns, into the pollutions and into the pleasures of the world. And surely that's what our Lord has intended here when he's speaking these words in Matthew 6 and 6, get the door shut. 
those thoughts, those other desires, those distractions, may they be shut outside, not brought with you into the closet. By getting that kind of a door, shut is difficult. We're all very familiar with the lines of William Cooper. Uh, we quoted them on Monday night as well. What various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. Hindrances to prayer. So many of them. You couldn't even list them, otherwise we'd be well over time tonight. There are many, they're manifold, that's for sure. You see, the devil knows we're into the arena of conflict here. We're taking on his kingdom. There's potential damage coming his way here, and so he knows how to hinder. He's a skilled engineer in the art of constructing barricade after barricade across the entrance to the door. He will have wedge after wedge to prevent us from shutting that door. And so he'll use anything. Outward circumstances, interruptions, apathy, tiredness, stray thoughts, some sluggishness within our own soul and spirit, just anything at all to weaken us in our attempts at prayer. Let's think of some of the things that he uses. Ideas. Once inside the closet, the devil wants to stop us focusing our minds, effectively closing the door. And he does it by unleashing a whole barrage of empty thoughts, vain thoughts, into our minds, those empty, frivolous unimportant, or if they are important, then they're inconvenient at that moment, notions and ideas. And when you try to get down to supplication, all of these things come in like salvos against you. The old Puritan preacher Jeremiah Burroughs, he had been one of the great independents in England, hounded out of his church because of his nonconformity. He once, and he used two pictures. I put the second one up on screen here, but he used two. Puritans were wonderful for one sentence illustrations, word pictures all over the place. They were not dusty or dead by any means. But he said, first illustration, the in thoughts in prayer, pick up the sacrifice like the birds that Abraham drove away from the sacrifice so that he wouldn't peck it. And then the second illustration, as wine that has the Spirit gone, so the life and spirit of our duties are gone by our vain thoughts, and therefore vain thoughts deaden the heart a great deal. And here you are, going into your chamber, into the closet, and you're full of excitement, you want to do business with God, and you sit down, and there it is. A distracting thought shoots right in. David in Psalm 119, and in the verse 37 requested, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thy me in thy way. That's a good prayer to offer. As long as our eyes are feasting on empty things, there be no life in our hearts when we come to serve the true and the living God. And getting into the closet, it's going to seem like the biggest burden that you've ever had to carry in your life, like Malachi 1 and 13. 
the people were turning their nose up against the service of God, and they were saying, Behold, what a weariness it is. And the Lord said, Ye have snuffed at it. Ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. And there we are in the closet. And what is the Lord saying in those empty thoughts, those terrible distractions coming in at that time? He's saying you're bringing the torn, the lame, the sick. That's what you're offering. And many of us have found that to be the case. What old preacher is like in those vain thoughts that interrupt our times in the closet? Describe it like a spaniel that's walking, an untrained spaniel, I probably have to add, and this out in the countryside with its owner. Back in London, Derry, in our estate outside the city, there were two guys, I think they were Romanians, and they came and they drove their car in, so they were coming from a different district. They didn't walk the dogs where they lived, and you would quickly understand why. Out of the car come the two Romanians, out of the car come two Spaniels, one apiece. And these guys are obviously gym lads, well-toned, but those two Spaniels made fools of them because they were this way, that way, that, right up the road. They just could not control them. And this preacher had this illustration here, and the man is, he's walking a mile over the field, but the spaniel is this way, that way, the other way, all over the place. And really, if the man had any sense, he'd put his step on or onto the dog, and then he would maybe triple or quadruple the steps that he was actually doing, because the dog was doing so many more steps. And maybe that's like our prayer times, all over the shop. Maybe that resembles our experience in the closet because these vain thoughts are coming in and spiraling around, and we need to, like the dog, bring them to heel. Just as the master in charge of that dog could give the spaniel a call when it's running beyond him, and that dog will come back immediately, so we should be trimming, calling to heel those fancies and notions when we come to the throne of grace. And our Lord expects us to do that because He says, Isaiah 1 and 13, bring me no vain oblations. So we have an issue here. And the issue is with ideas. Another issue that comes, and we need to shut these out, indolence. How tired we often are when we cross over into the closet. Maybe like the poet, we can say, Lord, I am tired. I can bring to thee only a heavy heart of tiredness. I kneel, but all my mind's a vacancy. Unconscious only of its weakness, can it be prayer, this dragging dreariness? And of course, that's not real prayer. Dragging dreariness, not conducive to prayer at all. When we're in the closet, so tired. Indolence, interruptions. We go into the closet, and if you have a young family, then the children, nearly inevitably, they start to cry or they start to fight. 
The telephone rings, doorbell, it goes, salesman call, people telling you we can get you cheap gas, and you will know not one of them can do it now. The more intent it seems to be we are on prayer, the more interruptions seem to appear. Samuel Zwemer points out very interestingly that we can be patient even in the face of these interruptions and and actually turn these interruptions into stepping stones. They are stumbling blocks, but we can turn them into stepping stones. And when Zwemer said that, I'm thinking, right, how do you do that? And he said, what you do is you watch what Jesus did because he converted every interruption that ever happened into an opportunity for exercising his healing power or announcing words of comfort. We'll take only one example. Mark 6, verse 30 to 39. The apostles, he gathered themselves together unto Jesus, told him all things, what they'd done, what they'd taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart, into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And we're told they departed by ship into this desert place. They did so privately, so they're closing the door. But what happens? And the people saw them departing. And many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities. And I'd went them and came thither unto him, And it's then that the 5,000 are fed. Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them. They were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He took the interruption, and he transformed those moments into wonderful blessings. So we have ideas, indolence, interruptions, iniquity. Sometimes we carry sin with us into the closet. God has a word in that, Psalm 66 and verse 18, other words as well. But if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How can we hope to get through to God when we're treasuring up sin in our heart and life, when we can't wait to get out of the place and immerse ourselves again in the practice of iniquity. Doesn't work. Right here in Matthew chapter 6, we have this whole warning. That's the, the context, the background, a warning against hypocrisy and a warning, therefore, against iniquity. And our Lord is saying, shut the door on these things. Close them out if you're ever going to prevail in the place of prayer. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, great quote from Gurnall, another Puritan, another illustration, hypocrisy, he says, is in this, like the frogs in Egypt, no place was free from them, not even their bedchambers. In other words, hypocrisy can find its way into your closet. Beware. Thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door. What? We have to shut the door on. 
the things against which we shut the door. Secondly, shut thy door, the reason why we must shut the door. Why should we do it? Well, we do it to be alone with God. That's vital. If you and I are going to go forward any distance in the spiritual life, if we're going to deepen our knowledge of God and therefore love Him more, work for Him more with a fool and a ready heart, we need to spend time alone with God. And I'm going to quote Jeremiah Burroughs again, who said, God expects that we should have our thoughts, will, and affections, our whole soul acting upon Him in the duty of prayer, or else we do not pray to God as unto a God. That's vital. Make sure we are praying unto Him as He is. Peter had that theme going last night in Psalm 46 and 10, be still and know that I am God. Know Him who He is. As those disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17 and verse 8, we are finding it also in Mark 9 and 8, suddenly when they had looked about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only. That's what their eyes were focused on, and we need to realize the benefit and the necessity of that. Close out men so that we might see God. Then again, Paul has an instruction on that in Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, and the word consider their means to gaze upon by looking away from everything else. You probably know the hymn written by Haldor Linnaeus, Shut in with God, the weary world forbidden, shut in with God, for one blessed arm, shut in with God and in His bosom hidden, to know His saving, keeping power. Shut in with God, the voice of strife excluded. Shut in with God, sweet peace is mine. Shut in with God, no other one included. I drink of living streams divine. And that should be our desire. Why do we shut the door? To get alone with God. Why do we shut the door? To cultivate heart religion. Haven't time to expound this, but any time you want to know, how do I cultivate true heart religion? Get onto the internet, do a Google search, or get a book of a secondhand bookstore, Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards, and he tells us, and there are summaries of this online, summaries which are very good and advantageous, how to kindle and rekindle when the fire is burning low and we're down virtually to ashes, how to keep those religious affections burning within the heart. That's what we do when we shut the door. We are cultivating heart religion. Colossians 3 verse 12 to 17 is a vital text in this same area. Why do we shut the door? To get alone with God. Why do we do it? To cultivate heart religion. Why do we do it? To obtain needed supplies of grace. And that's why the Lord tells us we are to come boldly, Hebrews 4 and 16, onto the throne of grace. That, there's a reason. It's not just a box-ticking exercise. It's not just you do it because this is what Christians do. There is real spiritual benefit to be found that we might obtain mercy 
I need mercy, so do you. Where do I find it? In the closet. When I've shut my door, thou shalt obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And how we have so many times of need. We need to be in the closet so many times with the door closed to obtain this mercy and find the grace to help in time of need. So that's why I need to shut the door to get alone with God, to cultivate heart religion, to obtain needed supplies of grace. And that cultivating of heart religion is in contrast to what the Pharisees and scribes are doing outside. They're parading a big plumage and display, but it's empty. The Lord's telling us real business is done with me. Heart religion happens in the closet with the door closed. Well, that's why we need to do it. Shut thy door, the things against which we must shut the door, the reason why we must shut the door, and finally the method we use to ensure the door is shut. The method we use to ensure that the door is shut. We're talking about bolting it up here. We're talking about it's not going to be open from the outside. What do we do here? How do we secure the door? We do it, first of all, by esteeming prayer to be a great work. Set a high price on your seasons of prayer. Count them of the greatest value. Not because the prayers are going to be poured out of your heart and you somehow are going to make the prayer precious. Your prayer will never be precious unless it flows through the merit of Jesus Christ. That's the only preciousness that will be ever in our prayers. When it's offered upon His merit and when it comes with His fragrance upon it. One preacher has advised this. Set a high price upon it as a great ordinance of God, wherein there is communion with God to be enjoyed and the influence of God to be conveyed through it. Nehemiah is up and he's rebuilding Jerusalem's walls and they're telling him, come down, come down, stop the work. You're wasting your time here. We want a word in your ear. And he says, no, I am doing a great work. Nehemiah 6 and 3, that I cannot come down. That work had gripped his heart. It had captivated his mind. It was controlling his actions and no interruptions, no enemy was going to deflect him from the purpose he had set. That's a good response when the devil comes knocking to you. When all the vanities in your own heart wells up in front of your mind as you come into the closet, and they're trying to distract you and deflect you from your purpose, just say, I can't waste my time thinking over these frivolous things. Be gone. The work I'm engaged in here is a great work. It requires my total effort. It requires my complete concentration. And I am not going to be deflected. Close the door and bolt it. Esteem prayer to be a great work, and that'll help you close the door. Not only that, remind yourself of the presence of God when you come to pray. You're not doing this to gain some brownie points or be catapulted up some kind of table somewhere. What we're doing here, we need to get a sight 
of the infinite greatness and majesty and glory of the one that we are presenting ourselves before when we enter that closet and shut the door behind us. There should be that chill going up our spine when we remind ourselves, I am in the presence of God here. That's where I am. And if we can get a real sense and sight of God in His glory, we'll have no problem with this duty. It'll be a pleasure. John saw him. What happened then? His instant automatic response was, as he described it, I fell at his feet as dead. A man may be sitting in a room, just idly gazing around the walls and taking in everything, maybe even the pattern down on the carpet, the display on the wallpaper, the ceiling. He might even see specks of dust that are floating about in the atmosphere there. He might be thinking of a, a hundred and one different things at similar times. But let a king walk into that room that that man is in, or a famous person that he wants to get a selfie with, and put up on Facebook, look who I saw today, look who visited my house, let that happen. And I'll tell you what, the carpets and the furniture and the wallpaper and the specks of dust will be things of the past. He won't be thinking of those now. All his thoughts, all his intention is focused on this special visitor. Understand who God is. Survey the work of creation. Discover the wisdom, the power of his mind and his hand far beyond our understanding. Survey the work of redemption. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Let's not be daydreaming in the closet with the door closed. Let's be standing, looking at God, observing Him. Let those wandering thoughts be banished. We need to remember, He knows everything about us. In Matthew 25, 12, Matthew 12 and 25, and Luke 6 and verse 8, the same thing is recorded, that He's taking note of us, that He knows our very thoughts, those stray thoughts. He's well aware of what we're thinking. Let's make sure as we go into that closet and bolt the door that we're thinking of Him. We're filling our minds with Him. Another thing, Another bolt on the door. Shut thy door. Here's the way to bolt it. Don't console yourself by thinking that wandering thoughts, oh, well, they're innocent. They're not wicked thoughts after all. They're just, they're just wandering thoughts. They're totally harmless and all of that. No, they're not. And going back to Jeremiah Burroughs, and yes, he lived from 1599 through 1646. Didn't live too long. Forty-seven years, but he wrote some tremendous material. Remember this rule, he said, In the time of prayer, whatever thoughts are in your mind that do not concern the present duty are sinful before God. You're there with a burden for souls. 
let's not be randomly just focusing on a thousand other things. Let's pray through. Closet, door closed, bolted. In other words, we must also bless God for times when our hearts and minds have been kept focused by His help. If I'm going to get into that closet, as I'm told by the Savior to do, if I'm going to shut the door as I am expected by Him to do as well, there's only one person going to keep my mind focused, and it's Him. I can't do it. I must confess that by myself. I cannot do it. But any time where it has happened, and the door has been shut, and it's been well bolted, and I've been praying through, and we've been using that vigor and violence, it's when our hearts and minds have been kept focused by His help. Lord, here I am. I'm in the chamber for prayer. Lord, take away all these stray thoughts and all the empty things. Focus my mind on what needs to be prayed for here. The reason why one preacher said we gain and prosper so little in our Christian course is because we do not take notice of what God has done for us to give glory to God for mercies formerly received, and therefore God takes little or no delight in coming with further mercies to us. Let me translate that. If I want further mercies, I need to praise Him for former mercies. That's how it is. There's no way around that. I can't be coming and praying, and God answers prayer, and then the next time I turn up in prayer, I act as if God hadn't answered prayer. If I am to get further mercies, I need to give Him the glory for the former mercies received. But thy, when thy prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray. May we do that tonight.